welcome to Escape Routes with Condé Nast Traveler. My name is Divya Sani, Global Editorial Director of Condé Nast Traveler, and it is my pleasure to introduce you to our podcast series. Travel is all about storytelling, a story of a place, of its people, of a journey. And at Condé Nast Traveler, we've always celebrated the most transportative, evocative travel writing. We've come together to take you to some of our favorite places, if only in your imagination, by listening to our most loved travel stories read aloud by the writers who pen them. We hope these short escape routes allow you to daydream of far-flung adventures, discover the world's curious corners, or recast familiar destinations in a fresh light and that you love these travel stories as much as I do. This podcast is sponsored by Mastercard, which is committed to restoring 100 million trees by 2025 with the Priceless Planet Coalition and its 18 restoration projects across the globe. Mastercard is also dedicated to helping its cardholders explore the world with complete confidence, backed by the Mastercard hotel stay and lowest hotel rate guarantees travel.mastercard.com. Hello, my name is Anthony Satin. Welcome to Condé Nast Traveler's Escape Routes. I'll be reading my piece on New York to San Francisco by Amtrak train, which featured in the September 2019 issue of Condé Nast Traveler. I hope you enjoy it. Washington, Montreal, New Orleans. Between announcements in a railway waiting room, an old-style metal fan whirs and a Strauss waltz plays. As the destinations are called, the expectation heightens and I'm wired. Then number 49, the Lakeshore Limited to Chicago is called. That's me, lighting out for the territory. Of course, I could fly from New York to San Francisco, but what's the hurry? I have time. I want to spend days and nights watching the landscape shift, great plains giving way to rocky mountains, cutting through canyons, following the settler's trail, the gold rush trail, crossing three different time zones. I want to feel that movement from east to west, an overview of America in all its huge and glorious diversity, and I want it from the deck of an Amtrak train. Somewhere along the glistening Hudson River towards Albany, Jim, in the opposite roomette, introduces himself. He's a retired teacher from Chicago, the son of a railway man. We didn't have much money when I was a kid, he says. But in the summer, we were given passes for the railway. So he travelled all over and knows the lie of the land and the history behind each stop. He knows, for instance, that they invented the grain silo in Chicago. And that, he says, changed everything. Once they had silos, they could trade grain. And that's when people grew rich. They built Chicago on grain and meat. Jim also has opinions, the most striking being that this train is finished, Amtrak is ruined. I wonder if it has something to do with dinner no longer being served on china and linen as it was when he was a boy. But seats do still fold into a bed, and in spite of the impending apocalypse, I sleep through Buffalo, Cleveland and the Great Lakes, which is to say I sleep well. The train continues west, but I get off to spend a day and night in Chicago. I think I know from New York what big ideas can do for a place, but here I am as dazzled by the skyscrapers as I am by the building's stories. The 20s jeweler's building designed so you could drive your limo into the lift and up to your front door, or the 110th floor of the Willis Tower built to sway three feet in the wind. In the 19th century, this was the fastest growing city in the USA, so unsurprisingly there's no escaping the rails. 
After eating red snapper and lobster in the city's own meatpacking district, I walk less than 100 meters and find myself beside the tracks again. The California Zephyr, from Chicago to San Francisco, is what Jim, the son of a railway man, calls a cultural artifact. It's also one of the longest rides in the country, 2,438 miles in 51 scheduled hours and quite a few unscheduled ones. Plenty long enough for me. It pulls away from Union Station's subterranean platform at 2 p.m. precisely. Across the fat, flat farmland, we run beside a road built for the Ford Model T. The planes live up to their name, monotonous, and a light rain falls and I'm lulled back to a time before our own bitter divisions. I doze, and then wait to the rattle of wheels on a steel bridge as we cross the Mississippi River into Iowa. My new neighbor, Scott, has at least one tale for every place we pass through. Some are about settlers rolling west, giving their names to towns, or their lives to a plot of land. Some are the stories of the Pony Express and the railway that followed them. Some are about the USA itself. At Galesburg, there's an old steam engine sitting proudly beside the platform, and while smokers step outside to admire its bulk, Scott tells me this town was the home of the man who created the Ferris wheel and of his relative who dreamed up popcorn. It's also where the Marx Brothers got their nicknames in a poker game a hundred years ago. On this train, streamlined and a midnight flyer, as Woody Guthrie sang, part of the joy is the dining car. Not for the food, but for the mix of people who pass through. I meet a man from Boulder, Colorado, who collects unwanted books and delivers them to places like the aging hippie homestead. Things are weird here, he tells me, but you know that. In the evening, the Zephyr passes through the Midwest Corn Belt and crosses the Missouri River into Nebraska. And by morning, the world has changed again. Snow-dusted mountains crowd the horizon, and a car full of Amish are having breakfast. The young girls on my table too shy even to catch my eye. At Denver, the conductor recommends folks detrain to see the station. A good tip, because the century-old building like the city has had money poured into it, and now houses the Crawford Hotel, a long bar beneath an enormous window, and a lobby as smart as a clubhouse. Rich Grant, a gnarled white-beard writer and beer lover, who may know more stories about Denver than anyone else. One thing you need to know, he tells me, is that there is no reason for there to be a city here. When they found gold nearby, tracks were laid to rush out prospectors and to help them spend their money. What I remember best about the Colorado Railroad Museum that Rich takes me round are the private carriage of the railroad director with bedrooms for his secretary and his mistress and a ride I take on the Galloping Goose, a 30s Buick converted into a railway car. Between Denver and Salt Lake City is the most beautiful track in the country as a Zephyr climbs into mountains, twists along rivers, cuts through sheer canyons and roars through the six-mile Muffet Tunnel. While the engineering feat is impressive, the natural beauty is more so. We near the dramatic rock structures of the Colorado National Monument, a mini Grand Canyon. All this was once under the sea, and they're still unearthing fossils here, but my discovery in the railway town of Grand Junction is that they also grow grapes. At Bin 707 Food Bar, motto, always an adventure, farm-to-table dishes arrive with a fruity local Cabernet Sauvignon. And I overindulge because it's delicious, but also because I've been told that Salt Lake City on a Sunday is as dry as the desert that surrounds it. This turns out to be untrue. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, 
the Mormon temple, is not open for visitors. But in the giant barrow-shaped pre-amplified age tabernacle, an assistant demonstrates its acoustic perfection. I can hear him tearing a piece of paper at the other end of the hall. It must be deafening when someone plays the 11,623 pipe organ. Not far away, I find a crowd of people with beers in hand, outside, on a Sunday, listening to an Israeli band singing Hava Nagila. Next is a local ensemble who encourage us to put down our glasses and put our hands together for the Lord, while they sing a cover of the impressions, People get ready, there's a train a-coming. And there is a train, but it's late. The Amtrak office at Salt Lake City only opens at 10 p.m., and when I arrive, an hour later, it's already packed with irritated passengers. Among them, a large group of women heading for Reno's casinos. When the train finally arrives, Stephanie, the most diligent of all the train attendants I encounter, turns down my bed. Don't worry about waking, she tells me in her sing-song way. I'll make sure you don't miss Reno. There's a Hank Williams song about this stretch of the route. From the Great Salt Lakes of Utah to California's Golden Shore, Colorado and Nevada through the desert's burning door. While she's circling through the canyons, can't you see that mountain stream? It's the California Zephyr, the Union Pacific Queen. There's also a line about the train's swing and sway, and that, not Stephanie, is what wakes me in the morning. And I lie there, watching the view outside my window shift between breakfast and coffee from cowboy arid to primordial rolling hills. Then we're approaching the biggest little sin city in the world, as the conductor calls it, urging people wanting to continue to the coast not to pop out to play the Reno slots. Every week we leave someone behind. It's not the Reno slots I'm after, but the big country beyond. I have the best coffee of the journey at Truckee, the next stop on the line. It's main street of one and two-story shops looking like a set from high noon. There's also a railway museum, but I'm in a hurry to get to Lake Tahoe. I know Tahoe for the skiing, and there is still snow on the slopes, but it's a sunny day in May and I follow a steep trail of lonesome pines to the lakeshore and some fish to eat. The water is icy, the second deepest lake in the country takes time to warm up, and there's no one kayaking yet, so I drive the 72-mile circuit around the lake. Each time I stop to take in the views, I find myself being told tales, none stranger than that of Knight of Emerald Bay, Mrs. Laura Jane Knight, to be precise, an Illinois widow and divorcee of English descent, who backed Lindbergh's transatlantic flight in 1927 and two years later built a waterside mansion in the style of an 11th century Swedish castle. As I cannot swim at Tahoe, I get into hot water at David Wally's Hot Springs, Nevada's oldest settlement. A few of the valley people are soaking in the pool, sitting between scrub-covered hills and the ranching country of Carson Valley. When I ask why the water's hot, the talk turns to volcanic activity and eruptions like Krakatoa, Iceland's volcanoes, the San Andreas Fault, Crater Lake up in Oregon. Someone says, Long Valley's going to be bigger than all. Long Valley? I ask. Just up the road here, that one's going to blow us back to the Dark Ages. Was it the threat of the apocalypse or a need to escape the madness of modern America that inspired Burning Man? Whatever it was, the festival in the desert outside Reno is slowly changing what used to be a casino-only city. At my hotel, I'm given the option to scale the outside wall, one of the world's largest climbing walls, to reach my room. Inside, a man is doing tricks in a huge hula hoop, someone else walking a tightrope, and a metalcore band getting ready to play at the concert hall. When I board the Zephyr the next afternoon, I'm in good spirits, and with good reason, for it's quite a day for the last memorable ride. 
The two-mile tunnel under Mount Judah is a portal into another world. And as we slide down towards the California plain, a crescent moon rises above a bank of cloud, a pole star above it. When we reach the water and the lights of San Francisco, the Pacific beyond it, a plane cuts across the ice-blue sky to remind me that I could have flown from New York to San Francisco in the space of a movie and a quick nap. Instead, I spent days, not hours, hearing the babel of accents, collecting stories, and understanding, as one only can understand from the ground, something of this immense country, and how this steel belt holds its many diverse pieces in place. I could have flown, but I preferred to ride. We hope you enjoyed our Escape Strude podcast. Please remember to like and subscribe to help boost us on the charts and ensure that you're the first to hear about our new episodes.